0: What a joy it is to be back at First Presbyterian Macon. Heather and my four children are here, and we're delighted to be here with you, delighted to worship in this beautiful place. Uh, we have such fond memories of our time here at First Presbyterian, particularly as I served as the youth pastor here. Um, Hunt was baptized right there. Yeah, you were. I was ordained in the fellowship hall. I got to serve my first communion, do my first baptism, first wedding right here. So, this is a very special place for us, and we're delighted to be back. I also want to thank you for uh, the many prayers and kind words of encouragement and support that you have given me and North Macon Presbyterian Church. Uh, many of you probably know that this church planted that church back in 1987. And over the 27 years, it's, it's had an up-and-down history. And uh, hopefully, by God's grace, um, God's going to bring uh, stability and health to that place, that it might be a true partner with you uh, in the gospel here in Macon, Georgia. That's certainly our hope. Uh, Chip and I, and of course both of our sessions, decided to do a pulpit swap that we might um, demonstrate, give a a symbol of the unity and the partnership between these two churches for the cause of Christ in Macon. Now let me say again what a privilege it is to be here with you and a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah 40. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do this morning. I'm only going to preach on verses 27 to 31, just the last few verses. But I want to read to you verses 9 all the way through the chapter. And here's the reason. Um, Isaiah is writing to a people who are very discouraged. Uh, They are brokenhearted and, and disheartened. And what he's going to tell them at the end of this chapter is, put your hope in God. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. You probably know that verse. But this whole chapter is driving toward that call, that invitation to put your hope in God. But what Isaiah does in this chapter is he first wants you to behold your God. He wants you to see how great and glorious, powerful, uh, majestic, loving, and faithful that he is. He wants to encourage you not to turn away from this God to worthless idols, but to put your hope in God. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We'll read uh, verses 9 to 31, and I will preach on verses 27 to 31. But before I read, I like to pray. Let me pray for the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Father, we know that you say that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through it. Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We pray that You would transform us through this time. We ask Your blessings, and we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 9. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up Your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs, close to His heart, and carries them in His arms. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, or with the breadth of His hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the spirit of the Lord or instructed him as a counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him or who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket They are regarded as dust on the scales. Behold, he weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom, then, will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. And he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. It was the spring of 2010, just four years ago. Um, I was in the youth room on the third floor teaching senior high Sunday school, and we were going through the book of Isaiah. And we came to this passage, and we studied it together. And it was then, it was in the study of this particular passage that spring that this idea of hoping to the Lord, hoping in the Lord, took on new dimensions, new brought new understanding to me. I began to realize that to hope in the Lord, it's actually a skill that we have to develop as Christians. Uh, it's it's a habit that we need to cultivate. And it's something that we need to do throughout the day, every day. Let me give you a definition of what it means to hope in the Lord. And I'll repeat this multiple times, so if you don't get it all the first time, you'll get it later. To hope in God is, first of all, to refuse to let your feelings and your thoughts and your circumstances have the final say in your life. And instead, it's to set your heart and to set your mind on God's character and His promises, and let Him have the final say in your life. That's what it means to hope in the Lord. And this is a skill to develop, a habit to cultivate. I want to bring you to verse 27 first. Um, This is the despair that we often feel. It's described here uh, in Israel. Isaiah says to them, "'Why do you say, O Jacob?' And complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Let me tell you a little bit about Israel's context here. Israel's about to go into exile. They're about to be overrun by the Babylonians. The city of Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And many of them will either be killed or carted off into exile. It would be some of the most horrific times that the people of God have ever faced. And as this is approaching, God is anticipating that as they see these circumstances, as they see the difficulties and the hardships, as they begin to experience them, He knows them, they're going to begin grumbling, and they're going to begin complaining, and they're going to begin wondering, has God forgotten us? Has God left us alone? Listen to the words that he uses. He says, my way is hidden from the Lord. What, the, what, what Israel is feeling is that God doesn't see what's going on. God's not paying attention to what's going on in my life. You ever felt that way? Maybe you feel this way. If God saw what was going on in my life, He would help. He would intervene. He would rescue. And the people feel like they've been forgotten. My way is hidden from the Lord. He also says, my cause is disregarded by my God. My cause, I've been bringing my requests. I've been bringing my petitions before God. And it's as if he disregards them. He just casts them off. No response, no answer. You ever feel that way? Maybe you feel that way right now. Because And you know what happens when you feel like your way is hidden from God or your cause is disregarded by Him. You begin to feel despondent, discouraged. You want to quit? You want to give up? You want to look for some other answers. That's where Israel is. That's what they're struggling with. And I wonder how often do you and I find ourselves in similar situations where those feelings come, God's forgotten me those feelings of anxiety and fear come into our lives. Those feelings of of anger and things are not right. Here's what it means to hope in the Lord. When those feelings come, you say, I'm going to refuse at this moment to let my feelings and my perception of things and my circumstances have the final say in my life. Instead, I'm going to go back to God's Word I'm going to think about who He is and what He's like and what promises He's made to me. And those are going to have the final say in my life. He moves on. Verses 28 and 29. Here's the God that we know. And there's actually a little hint of it in verse 27 when Isaiah comes to the people of God and he says this, Why do you say... O Jacob. Why do you complain, O Israel? Do you hear those terms? Israel and Jacob, we know what those are. Those are the, the names of the people of God. But I want you to see them as terms of endearment. As if God is saying to his people in their despair, in their despondency, Beloved, I haven't forgotten you. You are my chosen people. You are precious to me, beloved. Why are you despairing? Why are you tempted to give up in this moment? So you see the first hint of it there in those terms of endearment. And then Isaiah says in verse 28, people of God, don't you know who He is? Haven't you heard about what He's like and what His character is? And then he goes on to explain these things to us. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and He increases the power of the weak. Let's unpack this. Let's see the reasons why He's calling us to hope in God. The first thing I want to point out is the name, the Lord. It's in your Bibles probably is all caps. This is the covenant name for God. And he's describing who God is in his covenant relationship with us. This is the God who's made a promise to you. This is the God who's made a pledge to you. And this is it. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the pledge he's made. That's the covenant that he has made with you. In essence what he is saying, all that I am as God, I will be for you. That's who this Lord is. That's who this God is. The one that's entered into relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. The one who has made a pledge and a promise and a covenant to be your God and you will be his people. Notice the things that he now says about this Lord. Number one, he says... The Lord is the everlasting God. The everlasting God. In essence, there is no time where He's not with you. No time where He is not watching out over you. He's the everlasting God. He has no end and no beginning. And He is always with you, always caring for you. Not only is there no time that he's not with you, he also says he's the creator of the ends of the earth. Creator of the ends of the earth. In other words, there's no place that you can be in life or on this planet that he's not there, that he's not with you. There's no time and there's no place that God is not with you, caring for you. He goes on. He will not grow tired or weary. and his understanding, no one can fathom. It speaks here of his strength and his wisdom. And what he's saying is, there is no end to my resources. I don't grow tired or weary. My strength is inexhaustible. I am omnipotent. I don't grow tired or weary. Those are the kind of resources that I have. Furthermore, my understanding, no one can fathom. You can't plumb the depth of it. What Isaiah is trying to say is not only is there no time, no place that he's not with you, but his resources are inexhaustible. There's no end to his resources that he brings to bear in your life. It's one more thing. It's my favorite part. Verse 29. He gives. He gives. He gives. That's who God is in his essence, is a giver. And he gives strength to the weary. And he increases the power of the weak. Our God is a giver. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. Is not the Bible filled with things like this? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's a giver. James 1 If you lack wisdom, You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He's a giver, and there's no greater picture of that than John 3.16, is there? For God so loved this world that He gave. He gave. He gave His one and only Son that you might become His children. He's a giver, and He loves you, and He loves to give good gifts to His children. Would you come? Would you put your hope in Him? Would you refuse to let your feelings and your thoughts and your circumstances have the final say? Instead, fix your heart and your mind on God and His character and His promises and let Him have the final say in your life. I want to point one 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 more thing out of verse 29. Not only is he a giver, but I want you to notice specifically what he gives. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. I want to focus on these two words, weary and weak, because I think it will be helpful to you. These are describing different points in the journey, so to speak. Uh, the, weary, the word weary is when you get that news. It's on the front end of hardship. It's when you get that news and you go, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to move forward? I don't have it within me to work through these circumstances. At the front end of difficulty, to the weary, what does God do? He increases their power. He looks and says, "I realize your strength is insufficient. I realize it's not enough, but I'm going to increase your power at the front end, so that you might be able to walk through this." The other word, we uh, uh, weary. That's that's for the guy or the girl that's much further down the path in the hardships. This is for the person that is worn out. They're exhausted. They've been working. They've been pushing forward. They've been working through these difficulties and hardships. And they're worn out. They're exhausted. They're ready to give up. And God says, but I'm going to give strength to that exhausted one, that weary one. Do you see what he's saying? Whether it be at the front end of difficulties or in the midst of them. I will give you what you need. In Matthew 14, we're told a story about Jesus. He's just fed the 5,000, and he goes up into the hills to pray, and he sends his disciples on the Sea of Galilee to go ahead of him. And the Bible says that about the fourth watch of the night, which is probably about 3 or 4 in the morning, uh, Jesus begins walking on the water, walking toward the boat in which the disciples are. And when they see him, I mean, what would you expect? At four o'clock in the morning, you're in a boat and you see somebody walking on the water. What do you expect? It's a ghost. We're terrified. That's exactly how they respond. And Jesus quickly says, it's me. Don't be afraid. It's just me. And Peter says, well, Jesus, if it's really you, call me out there on the water so that I can come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat and he steps out on the water and he begins walking on the water to Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that when Peter saw the wind, he became afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him and saved him. And he says, You of little faith, why did you doubt I think it's a great story for us. I think Jesus calls us often, get out of the boat. Come walk through these hardships that I've called you to walk through. But what you and I do is we quit looking at him. We quit hoping in him. We quit trusting in him. And we look at the wind. And we look at the waves. And we look at how hard things are. And we begin to sink. And Jesus calls us today, Oh, you have little faith, keep your eyes on me. Keep looking at me. Keep hoping in me. I will supply all that you need. There is no time that I'm not with you. There is no place that you can be that I will not be right by your side. There is no end to my resources. And I love to give of these infinite resources to you, my children, my people. So what do we do? Let's look at verses 30 and 31. Here's the strength that we receive or the strength that God promises to us. He begins in verse 30 with what I call wishful thinking. I bet you and I resort to this all the time, don't we? Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. You know, the Israelites will be tempted to say, oh, if I was just younger... I'd be able to handle this. Oh, if I was just in different circumstances, I'd be able to handle this. He's saying, look, even youths grow tired and weary. And young men, men in their prime, men in the fittest shape, even they stumble. Don't wish you were somewhere else. Don't wish you were someone else. Don't do the wishful thinking. Instead, hope in the Lord. And that's what he tells us in verse 30. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What does it mean to hope in the Lord? Let me give you some synonyms. It means to pray. It means to call on God. It means to look to Him. It means to wait on Him. Rest in him. Look to him. Call on him. You get the synonyms. That's what it means. And that's what he's calling us to do. Look to me. Put your trust in me. Hold fast to who I am. And I want to tell you that this word hope here, it's a participle. You probably remember enough out of English to know that that means continuous action, ongoing action. Do you hear what he's saying? Keep on hoping in me keep on trusting, keep on calling out to me, keep on crying out to me. It's a a habit. It's a way of life that he's calling us to. And what happens when we do that? Those who keep on hoping in the Lord will renew their strength. The word renew here, it actually means to transform. It means to take it from one place and to transform it into something bigger, something greater, something more. God will do that with your strength. It reminds me of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the story? All these people in front of Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, send these people away so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You feed them. And Philip goes, Jesus, that's crazy. If we had eight months' wages, we couldn't even give each one of these people a bite. And what does Jesus say? What do you have? What do you have? What do you have to bring? And they say, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Because what I can do with that little bit is I can transform it. I can make it sufficient to feed thousands. And He says the same to you. Bring the little you have. Bring the little strength that you have. Bring the little faith that you have. Bring what you have to Jesus. Put your hope in Him. And He'll transform your strength. He'll transform your means. He'll transform what you have. That it will be sufficient. He gives a picture here. These people will soar on wings like eagles. Unfortunately, we live in Macon, Georgia, so we don't get to see eagles flying, a while, uh, flying around. But I bet you've seen turkey buzzards, right? Have you ever seen them fly? They just soar. They don't flap. They don't use their own energy. They soar. And if you've ever watched them, they're able to ascend and go climb up into the sky. How do they do that? You know how they do it. They ride the air currents. As the cold air drops and the hot air rises, they find those air currents and they're able to ride them. You see the picture? God is saying, I will give you a strength outside of yourself so that you can just soar on my energy, on my strength, on what I supply to you. You'll be like that eagle you'll be able to find a divine energy outside of yourself that will sustain you and that will help you in the difficulties. His final promise is those who hope in the Lord, they'll be able to run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Let me tell you about this. Run and walk. They're two opposites. Run and is a picture of the extraordinary demands of life. It's those times in life where it just seems to pour down on you. And it's it's just extraordinary demands. What God is saying is you'll be able to run in those extraordinary demands and not grow weary. You won't give out. You won't become exhausted because you're going to have a divine power within you he also says they'll be able to walk and not grow faint. Walk here is symbolic of the everyday normal grind of life. The Monday to Friday, nine to five ordinary demands of life. And he's saying you'll be able to walk. You'll be able to engage in those ordinary things and not grow faint. Do you see the picture? Whether it's the extraordinary demands or just the everyday demands. And everything in between. God is saying, I will provide for you and it will be sufficient. Trust me. Hope in me. Look to me. Call on me. I will give you what you need. I'm telling you, this is a skill that you've got to develop. It's a a habit that you've got to cultivate in your life. And here it is again. To hope in God is to refuse to let your feelings, to let your thoughts, to let your circumstances have the final say in your life. And instead, you're to set your heart and set your mind on God and His character and His promises and let those things have the final say in your life. Then your strength will be transformed then you will soar on wings like eagles. Then you'll run and not grow weary, and you'll walk and not be faint. Come to Jesus. Trust Him today. Let's pray together. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we praise You for who You are. We praise you that you're the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And we praise you that you're our God, that you've made a covenant and a pledge with us to be our God. God, would you give us faith this morning? Would you help us to develop this habit of hoping in you, trusting in you daily, constantly? We need your help. And we need Your grace. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.